Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Let's take a break with Stephen. Stephen Seamus. Welcome back, everybody. This is part two yep. of our trip down memory lane of the 1980s. Yep. We hope you enjoyed part one. I, I hope we gave you some insight. I hope we gave you some ideas on how to start and build your collection. These are cornerstone books that will really enhance your collection, especially if you're just looking to start out and you just want to get started. These are sort of cornerstone iconic books that you can't go wrong with. Agreed. Uh, affordable stuff, stuff that still holds up to these dates. I mean, it's stuff that I still read. I still pull off the shelf all my graphic novels and still read this stuff. When you go on Amazon, they're still in the, they're still yeah. ranked yeah. every month. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, look. Whenever somebody asks me for recommendations, uh, and say, hey, you know what? I'm just looking to get started. I just want to read something. You know, uh, I have a teenage son. I have a teenage daughter. What should I read? It's Watchmen. It's Dark Knight Returns. It's Superman, Red Sun. Yeah. We, we know all the books, Alex. Yeah. Death in the Family. We know the books we're recommending for everybody. Yeah. Cool. Let's get started. So let's move on to another character that was, you know, uh, portrayed by John Bernthal most recently. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we hope to see this character again. For some reason, this character has gone through many iterations over the years, but still seems to connect to audiences and fans. There's something about the vigilanteism. Yeah. Even on Netflix, they have these, sometimes they'll have the vigilante shows, the movies yeah. that have been, it's, it's sort of a timeless theme, right? Of, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna stick up for the little guy. I'm gonna get my revenge. There's, there's a certain uh, quality to that that is sort of transcended time. Yeah. So the Punisher Limited series uh, with those uh, painted covers. Mike Zek, yeah. Mike Zek. Wow. Uh, again, that's Mike's best work yeah. Yeah. Uh, in my opinion uh and it's the punisher limited series from 1986 originally supposed to be four issues they extended it to five issues so the first four issues say limited to four, four issue series the fifth one is obviously a, a different cover but the but but the first issue is really the cover that everybody wants there are 344 blue labels 93 gold labels it's a 350 to 400 dollar book Alex, talk a little bit about that series and, and why the Punisher sort of resonates over time or just sort of, did I sort of hit the, hit that already? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, you're not, you're not going to take away from the sad story of his family dying, mobsters taking revenge. I mean, it's, it's almost your Batman backstory uh, of, of who he is. Um, but you know, something in the eighties clicked with people with like Rambo and big guns and shooting and, Predator. missiles and a predator i mean you get, you get all that stuff. i mean it's that that's the 80s the punisher is an 80s baby of, of any of the characters coming out in the 80s um so you know you got a lot of people that were just like yeah skull and punisher and rambo and predator and, ah you know kind of machismo man in this kind of superhero world right but you also had thomas jane you had ray yep. stevenson uh Dolph Lundgren, and, and please Dolph Lundgren. Don't love me. <laughs> and, and then and then Bernthal. So you you've had a lot of iterations yeah. of that character. It, it it does seem to resonate. They do want to keep bringing him back. And listen, I would not be surprised if you see another iteration of the Punisher in whatever the next phase of MCU, whether it's the television yeah. or, or the films. Yeah. Agreed. All right. So that's a good one. Let's let's take a little bit of a U-turn. Two series in particular. Uh they're they're different but the same. Yeah. Uh, you have the Tick Special Edition, mm -hmm. which is a very, very rare book from 1988. Yes. Um, obviously, they just had a, a series on Amazon. They had a live action Fox one. Um, they had the, the cartoon, which I think a lot of the 90s babies like me are just 
always fans of. So there's only 27 blue labels and three gold labels of the Tick Special Edition from 1988. Very low print run. It's yeah. about a $1,500 book. Yeah. Uh, and it's funny because I actually enjoyed uh, the tongue-in-cheek of the Amazon series. Yeah, I loved it. And I'm surprised they canceled the series. Maybe they sort of had run out. They sort of had run its course. Uh, but I would like to see it back again. I think you probably will, maybe in a cartoon-type yeah. form. And then the other one is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, which is incredible, the global phenomenon. Yeah, never stops. That, that just never stops, right? There's always another movie. There's always another cartoon. There's always another, another something. So the, the original series from Mirage Studios from 1984, there's only 28 blue labels and three gold labels. The last one that sold recently was for $80,000. So when you're in that rare air, mm -hmm. uh, that is a global force. That is a global yeah. force and phenomenon buying that book. It's hard to believe $80,000. But, you know, really, if you're looking at a copy in like an 8.5, if there's still about 7,500 bucks, yeah. certainly much more affordable, very, very hard to find first printings. They printed very, very few copies. I don't yeah. even know if Kevin Neesman or Peter Laird have original they, copies. More than like it. From what I understand, they were selling them out of the trunk of their car, like going down the East Coast, going to comic shops, trying to, trying to peddle these books. Like, so here's were, the question with with radioactive black belt hamsters and fish yes. police and all these other series that came along what was enduring about the ninja was it the was it the names of the turtles what, what's the enduring quality i, I think a lot turtles? of things just clicked i mean it was obviously it was a frank miller daredevil i'm not gonna say ripoff but i mean that's what they were going for they were it was kind of a joke of like the dark grimy daredevil ninja aspect and it just everything just made sense the names flow together the background it's simple easy background i mean it's just fun the books themselves i mean went crazy i mean after after the eastman and lard i mean they were giving it to any independent that was coming up in the world was, was hitting them there was a lot of uh um different creators jumping on those books um you know and and really that the cartoon did well but that movie the movie that was really based on those first few issues just skyrocketed that that franchise um, you know, and, right. and same thing with the tick. I mean, you think of the tick and you're like, oh, I remember the tick. Uh, yeah, that guy who, you know, the creator Ben Unland, who wrote and drew it, is a, is a producer in Hollywood. He was on Supernatural for years. He's, he's, in, he's in the industry because of the tick. Like these 80s independent books that, that got these guys big. I mean, they're multimillionaires now. Alex, and another book based on sort of a cartoon type character mm -hmm. is Archie's Girls, Betty and Veronica from 1982. Yep. Uh, issue 320 is the first appearance of Cheryl Blossom, yep. who's on the Riverdale show. Big character. Big character. There's only 11 blue labels and zero gold labels. 9.8 will cost you about 2,500 bucks. A 9.6 is about a thousand. A 9.0 to 9.2 is about 500 to 750. Was it about the character that all of a sudden, after 38 years, they decided to bring her onto Riverdale? And like, what, what, what is the popularity of that character? I mean, Cheryl Blossom and the Blossom twins and, and have been in Archie since then. And they've been 
pretty decent characters. Uh, you know, same with like Ethel and all the other fun stuff. And and the weird part about it was, is, you know, that book has always been a key issue, but not until Riverdale where it just skyrocketed because people, people said, Oh, this character, I like this character. Let me get her first appearance. And then they're like, Oh, it's in a, it's in an Archie book from the eighties. Archie books are the quintessential young readers books. Like you said, you give them the, when I was working in the shop, every, every beginning of summer, we get parents coming in. Hey, I need a bunch of Archies. I guess send to summer camp. A bunch of Archies. Send to camp. I mean, these are the kids' books, like the Archie books. And if someone's starting a collection of Archie books, you start in the golden age and you kind of just stop. You don't really keep going. Like those those issues. There's no key issues there. The real key issues are the are the golden age stuff, the early silver age. Yeah. So I when I, I remember when I was a kid, I mean, that's what we used to take to summer camp, right? Yeah. Like we used to take those Archie issues. Uh, that was the thing to do, and we destroyed them. I yeah, mean, no, nobody keeps those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they, were, they were totally destroyed. Nobody was going to the newsstands being like, I need a mint copy of Archie. Right. And Archie 11. is a newsstand comic. That's Only a comic 11 that blue label yeah. 9.8s. It's nuts. So I think that wraps up our, our cartoon portion mm -hmm. of the program. Mm -hmm. and, and I want to turn to Star Wars. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Which is sort of transcended time and space and whatever else you want to call it. Yeah. And issue number 107, final issue, 1986, uh, that ended a very uh, historic run. Yeah. Uh, it was the first appearance of a lot of the characters in the comic books. Yep. There was some great artwork. Yeah. That 107, that final issue has a very beautiful cover on it. Chewbacca holding Lando, where he's just smoking off the side. Yeah. Right. And they brought piece. Lando back. I mean, yeah. those characters were all brought back, yeah. right? I mean, like yeah. those are familiar faces to all of us, right? For for many, many years. Those are the faces of our childhood, of our youth. Yeah. Uh, the last issue has 97 bl uh, blue labels, uh, 13 gold labels. There's actually one 9.9 in existence. Who knows where those show up? Wow. And that's about a 375 to $475 book. Alex, why is that last issue so important as part of that run? I mean, last issues for any series, especially a long running one, there is a reason why they're hard to find. The series is either getting canceled because no one's reading it or something like Star Wars, maybe the property was going somewhere else. But at the end of a run, if it's ending, it's a low print run. Nobody's printing extra copies like a number one or number two to sell through. You know, by the time Star Wars 107 came out, I mean, there hadn't have been a, there, the movies were cool. The toys were cool. There was no new properties coming out. There's no new movie. I mean, the prequels were years, years, years away from that. I mean, it's, it wasn't essentially as hot as it was in 77, right after 77, when the movie, the first movie came out and it was a phenomenon. People just weren't buying comics for that at the time. So, so let's switch gears one more time. And this will be the final leg for us, uh, the 80s, unless the fans out there hit us with some other books. And, you know, there, there was also sort of more mature form taking place yeah. in the comic books in, in the 1980s. Obviously, we talked about some of those books with like The Dark Knight. Yeah. And, and so, so there are books like Sandman, yeah. Swamp Thing, yeah. V for Vendetta, Watchmen, and the Wolverine Limited series. So let's, let's go in order of these. Yeah. Uh, Sandman, first appearance of death. Mm -hmm. What's that's it? What's yeah. the finality of that? Right? That, yeah. That's it. What what's what's worse than death? Right? That's it. It's over. Yeah. Uh, Sandman number eight, 1989. There's 221 blue labels, 
15 gold labels. At this time, Neil Gaiman was es establishing himself, himself as the preeminent writer mm -hmm. uh, that he has become. Uh, so talk a little bit about the death issue and, and what sparked the craze for Sandman. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot has to do with Karen Berger at the time, who was the uh, Vertigo editor, um, really got things cooking, again, with Swamp Thing, Sandman, Animal Man, you know, things that, that were superhero, but a little bit extra. Um, now, if you, if you think in this time, you know, the kids, the, the kids that were growing up reading Silver Age comics, um, you know, if they stuck with it, they were reading 70s comics. And as people grow, so does their, you know, tastes for media, you know. I don't think we could keep reading Silver Age DC comics, you know, 30 years later. We, we wouldn't be in this, this world anymore. You have to grow with your audience. And I think this is a, a big example of the audience growing. Um, it's a little bit more serious stuff, um, but you still get the superhero world. Um, you know, Sandman number eight, it's funny because it's a key issue and there's also a variant for that key issue of a printing yeah. error uh, and there's not many of those, but it's just one of those things where Sandman, you know, when someone walked in the comic book store and they were like, hey, this is my friend. He doesn't read comics, but he wants to get into something. What should he read? Sandman. Why? Because it's if he's a novel reader or anything else, that is the easiest thing to get someone that's not a comic reader into because it's it's written for somebody to understand it as a mature reader not a child reading Superman comics. Right, so, so a 9.8 will set you back between four to $500. Again, not crazy for, the, for these types of books. So Swamp Thing is interesting because it, it just came into popularity uh, issue number 50 from 1986, which is the first Justice League Dark. Yeah. Obviously there's gonna be a new film based yep. on Justice League Dark and that shot it up. Yep. Uh, there's 84 blue label 9.8s 10 gold label 9.8s. It's a $150 to $200 book. That's a very low price, I think. Uh, now, we know that that not, may not be the modern age team because right. the new 52 has the modern era team. And we'll talk about that book at another time because that book is in the hundreds of dollars. Yeah. That book is very, very hard to find, especially with the variants. But for today, Swamp Thing number 50, first Justice League Dark. And again, like of all the properties that DC is looking at, uh, you know, with all the brightness and colorfulness of the Marvel Universe, it is interesting that DC sort of went 180 and said, no, we're going to go dark. Interestingly enough, I think the, the zeitgeist mm -hmm. of, of what's happening in society today is very reflective of a lot of the films and, and, and pieces of its time. It's reflected in television. It's reflected in film. And maybe DC saw something in, in the period of time that we're in and said, you know what, now's the time to make the Justice League Dark movie, which it sounds like they're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, what's kind of popular right now? What, what, was, what was popular about the films that they've made? You know, the, the, the kind of the, the darkness of the Superman versus Batman, the Justice League. Um, people like that. The DC film fans are really into that. And also magic and, and all the DCU shows. If you look at the DCU TV shows, this ensemble cast of people that you don't know. I mean, yes, you know The Flash, but Elongated Man's in there, I Icicle, uh, Vibe. I mean, these are characters nobody knows unless you're a comic book fan. So I think they're taking kind of that, that specialness of the DC shows and putting it into the movie with Constantine and um, you know Swamp Thing and all that fun stuff. You know, it's definitely something that I think is going to resonate with new DC fans, people that maybe didn't like the Justice League movie. They're going to go see this because it's going to be a, a clean slate for them. 
right? There's no pre, as we always talk about the preconceived notions. Right, right. So the next book I want to talk about, when I saw this film, it completely blew me away. Yeah. I, I, I remember uh, DC had invited, invited us to a special screening of this movie. And when I saw V for Vendetta, it was up until that point, unlike anything I had ever seen. Remember, remember the 5th of November, the gunpowder, treason, and plot. I know of no reason why the gunpowder treason should ever be forgotten. Yeah. Hugo Weaving and Natalie Portman are absolutely remarkable. And that made this book on fire. Yeah. Uh, so Viva Vendetta came out in 1988. Uh, there's 304 blue labels. There's 36 gold labels. It only sells for $150 to $200. And I think more appropriate than ever, yeah. that book, The Mask, the book, the storyline, it's almost like Alan Moore had, had a crystal ball and said in 2020, Viva yeah. <laughs> Vendetta is going to come to life. Yeah. I think this book, more so than ever, people need to watch this film. People need to read this book. So there's now, there, I don't know that there's been a more appropriate time than mm -hmm. ever that this movie sort of speaks to people in terms of, the climate that we that we're living in yeah yeah a hundred percent and again you know when i when i was talking about seeing in the shop and, and people walking and being like oh my friend would like to get the comics what should you read be vendetta watchman sandman are three of the easiest things to get non-comic readers into it uh you know be vendetta you know it, it is surprising that the that the first issue in those comics aren't worth a bunch when you look at it in, in the in the collectible world um i don't know if it has anything to do with Technically, issues, I think it's the first handful, if not the whole series, are reprints of the Warrior Magazine strips. These comics first appeared in Warrior Magazine, the UK magazine. Those aren't expensive. They're very oversized magazines. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's definitely a book that more people buy in trade paperback form to keep on the shelf because it's easy to pull off and, oh, I'm having a dinner party. Oh, you read comics? Yeah, you should check it. Look at this book. It's all about the, the government. It's easier for someone to hand over than their single issues that they want to keep and and preserve for for you know for a long time um, but it's definitely a, a quintessential comic book in the past 40 years maybe of all time 100 percent. i think it's a steal at 150 to 200 bucks. i agree 100 yeah yep so let, let's tackle the wolverine limited series also from frank miller just yep. like dark knight yep uh frank miller changed the the wolverine persona in this mm -hmm. series uh the book came out in 1982. So again, it's like 38 years ago. It's almost like, how did they know, yeah. right? Uh, they did definitely changed the persona. There were 2,700 blue labels, 737 gold labels and 9.8. There are actually a bunch of 9.9s and even three 10.0s, but the 9.8s will set you back between 350 and $450 for a book that has 3,400 copies in 9.8, yeah. not, not a small run. Yeah. Um, and, and that iconic, that iconic Wolverine cover that's also been homaged plenty with that red background. Yeah. Um, so, so what was it? What was what did Frank Miller do with Wolverine in that particular series that was different than anything that about Wolverine that had preceded that? I mean, you got to think of you know when when Hulk one eighty one came out and first appearance of Wolverine and you got a little taste of him. He really didn't take off until Giant Size X Men when he joined the X Men. And if, and and I mean, it was the the whole that whole run before you get the limited series you don't know anything about him 
but there was no origin story. There was no, you know, in Hulk 181, he just shows up, fights Hulk, and leaves. That's all you get until giant size. Uh, and then when you get the limited run, you get a little bit more piece of his, his backstory and history. And, it, you know, that book also weaved in with the Uncanny X-Men at the time. And that book was huge. Spider-Man, Batman, Uncanny X-Men. Those were the, those were the three books that were probably selling the most at, at that point. Um, and it, like those covers, I mean, it's a solid red, the solid green, the solid blue, and the character just looking. I mean, would you take, there's a lot to said to be said about covers and how you make them. You know, there's, there's a different, you know, the Batman Tom McFarlane cover, that's pretty much a, a red background. The, the Hulk 340 uh, cover, that's pretty much a blue background. There's not a lot of stuff in the background because it takes your eyes. There's a lot to be said about artists that just draw artists that have a knack for graphic design because it, it's not the same. You know, you're not going to, you can be a great artist and have terrible uh, perception for graphic design. And Frank Miller in those covers, uh, and Tom McFarlane in his covers, I mean, nailed it. Right. So I want to wrap up our 80s with probably the most important book from the 1980s that also is so relevant today. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know that there's a more important story than the story of the Watchmen. Yeah. Uh, 1986, Alan Moore. Uh, there's 446 blue labels. There are 67 gold labels. Uh, the book sells between 450 and $500. I personally loved the film. Yeah. I know that some people may have had different feelings it. about it. I love the film. I also love the new TV series. Totally oh, yeah. different. Yeah. Totally different than, than, the, than the original Alan Moore series. Um, but if, again, it's almost like Alan had a crystal ball and could see the future and see where, okay, if this happens and then this happens and then this happens and this happens, this is the result. Who's the hero, Alex? Who's the villain? Right. Who's right? Who's yeah. wrong? Think right? These are, these are very, very difficult questions. Uh, my brother had purchased all the covers. We sold them at Heritage years ago. Uh, they, my brother didn't have the heart to break them up. So when, he, when we brought the covers to Heritage, uh, they said they're going to sell them in threes, uh, one, two, and three, and then four, five, and six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, and that were broken up, and no one will be able to reassemble them again. It's heartbreaking to think that they get broken up, but there, there, there's no way for you personally to break them uh, up, no. right? You can't. Yeah. You have to give them to Heritage and say, okay, you break them up. And so I remember that that was a sort of an important, that was eight years ago, I believe. So the Watchmen covers, the Watchmen book held uh, certain theories then uh, that hold up even today. So do you want to talk about some of the themes that have sort of transcended time and space again with Watchmen that, that makes it even today a very, very relevant piece of work? Yeah, I mean, one of the one of the big things in Watchmen is, you know, your main character, Rorschach, who everybody loves, and they're like, oh, Rorschach's the greatest. He's he's actually kind of a, a jerk and shouldn't be your favorite character. Uh, he he does things kind of the wrong way for the right reasons, but you know he's he takes it upon himself to do to do the the cop's job of serving justice, and, and really that's that kind of vigilanteism, or you know, if you're thinking of just like someone taking it upon themselves to right wrongs, you know that's that's something that's very uh, you know worrisome even in today's standards you know you know there's there's people that do right and there's people that do something wrong and they do it for the right reasons but it's still wrong 
Um, I mean, one of the things that you see with, um, with Adrian is, you know, he's right and it works. What he does is terrible, but it works and it, it brings peace to society. Like, right. I mean, I mean, how do you argue with that? And, and that's, I think that's where you get, that's, I think the every, everybody wants to be Rorschach. Everybody's night owl. I mean, that's, that's how it is. Everybody wants to be this like gung ho, like, ah, I'm not going to do it. But you're real. Everybody's really night owl. And they're like, I, I don't agree with how you're doing, but I can see how that could work. There's some um, Thanos in there. A little bit oh, of Thanos. Yeah. 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 A little bit of Thanos. And, in it, there and it's too. funny that every time I, I reread Watchmen, which is, the best-selling comic book of all time. Um, those characters were supposed to be the Charlton characters. Like they had written that as Blue Beetle and Peacemaker and and you know uh, Captain Adam. You know, and, and the parallels are just really funny when you when you read it and you're like, oh, that's Night Owl supposed to be Blue Beetle. Uh, Captain Adam supposed to be Doctor Manhattan. Um, and and again, that's again that's another book that will always hold up. I mean, there's I mean, yeah, it's dated because it's an '80s book and there's '80s themes in it. But you'll never, you're never going to argue that it's not a relevant book, no matter what, what era you're in. Agreed. Agreed. So, Alex, thank you for taking this trip down memory lane. Yes. Fans out there, if you feel like we've missed something, let us know. We'll address it at a later time. Yeah. We're going to do this for different eras at different times. We're going to yeah. do some other shows in between, but we will catch you again on this trip down memory lane. Thank you, Alex, for a wonderful show today. Thank you. Always a pleasure, sir. And we will see you next week at the same bat time. Same bat channel.